the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. W.H. Weiskarper, a recent guest on the show, has pledged 50% of the proceeds from his book Twilight of Empire from sales between October 1st and October 31st to support the Tom Sumner program. W.H. Weiskarper, a former National Security Advisor and counsel for the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee, pulls no punches, fusing history with political intrigue in Twilight of Empire, the third of four planned novels in the Resurrection Saga series. W.H. Carver's book, Twilight of Empire, shows that the U.S. has all the wealth, science, and resources to solve every issue we face today. Twilight of Empire by W.H. Carver is available on Amazon and Apple Books. For more information and to support the Tom Sumner program, visit whyscarver.com. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Where do they all come from? 
All the lonely people, where do they all belong? Wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved. All the lonely people. Where do they all come from? All the lonely people. Where do they all belong? The lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? everybody as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner program. Up next we're going to talk with um, the uh, with Andrew Dikos, the author of Street With No Name, A History of the Classic American Film Noir. In fact, we're really going to spend kind of the rest of the week in that uh, film noir genre coming up tomorrow on the show. Back-to-back Hitchcock will have author Paula Morantz Cohen and talking about her book, Alfred Hitchcock, The Legacy of Victorianism. And then we're going to follow that up uh, with a book by uh, John Billenheimer called Hitchcock and the Censors. And then we'll, um, we'll end it up tomorrow uh, in our Halloween preview with uh, Otto Preminger, The Man Who Would Be King. An updated version of that book is now available from author Foster Hirsch. And uh, so we'll we'll have a little pre-Halloween fun. Also, coming up, Halloween Day. It's a Sunday. Normally don't do a show on Sundays. Usually you can tune in on Sundays on the website and hear the whole week. Well, you can still do that on Saturday, but on Sunday we're going to have a special Halloween edition of the Tom Sumner program, and it's going to feature uh, 
Orson Welles' original radio drama, uh, The War of the Worlds. And then we're going to back that up with uh, some Tom Sumner program studio uh, revivals of some old radio dramas, including Flash Gordon and uh, The Inner Sanctum. So be sure and tune in for that. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and everybody who listens to uh, my show often knows how much I love old movies, and in particular, uh, some of the mysteries from the film noir era. And my guest this hour has uh, written a book that's called Street With No Name, A History of the Classic American Film Noir. His name is uh, Andrew Dickos, and he joins me by phone. Hi, Andrew. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Thank you for having me. I've always just sort of assumed that film noir evolved uh, in, in a way that was sort of made necessary by the limits of the technology of the day. But there's a lot more uh, to it, as you point out in your book. Absolutely. Um, film noir was really a response to the changing world of that moment, which is the, uh, the, the world on the cusp of entering World War II and all of the the ominous uh, and uh, catastrophic things that were to happen in Europe at that time. Uh, what it did was, as a genre in uh, the crime melodrama, the detective mystery melodrama, uh, show that uh, it was possible to make a, a uh, a, a genre to create a genre to make a world in Hollywood that was an alternative to the optimistic sunny side that was being promoted by the studios at that time. It was a dark urban world of damaged characters who, in their anxiety and fear, uh, submitted to their passions, their weaknesses, and. Uh, and and uh, paid a price for it. And to have that uh, portrayed on the American screen at that time, even though uh, there would be the obligatory uh, uh, Hollywood ending, quote-unquote, the ending where the, the, the malevolent characters, the bad guys, paid a price, you didn't get to that ending before people suffered and before you saw a grittier underbelly of American life that uh, spoke as, uh, as, as an antidote to the uh, optimism that was always being promoted. Well, how was, um, I mean, all the films of that era were in black and white. What made noir different than the way westerns were being shot? Or well, uh, the noir the noir uh, style uh, that became uh, so much uh, identified with the genre uh, had to do with the chiaroscuro lighting, the black and white shadow effect that. Uh, 
visually expressed uh, the malevolence of uh, the world and the characters that uh, were encountered in that world uh, from those who tried to escape them, uh, to escape uh, the, uh, the, 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 the nightmarish uh, experience, the... Uh, the, the, the paranoia that so often infected them. You know, noir characters flee their own anxiety and fear, and uh, that is created so often by their own misdeeds, their weaknesses, their their uh, submission to passion that uh, leads to their destruction. And the visual correlative of that, of course, is a shadowy black and white cinematography, a chiaroscuro effect, low key lighting, uh, always set at night. Film noirs are always at their most evocative at night, in the rain, uh, and uh, characters are running from or to something. Uh, and this is the the intoxicating atmosphere of the best of these of these films <clears throat> who which as i should uh, say were made by european immigrant film the best of them were made by european immigrant filmmakers who came here after having experienced a, a, a lifetime of of, uh, of of i would say uh pain and uh, and 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 suffering and uh, the kind of uh, the kind of, uh, of, of of negative experience that was rejected by and large by a Hollywood film industry that always sought to market the sunny optimistic side of American life it's interesting that when Billy Wilder made um, double indemnity in 1944 it was after he came to this country, having had a successful career in theater and film in Austria and Germany, and having uh, come to this country to escape uh, the Nazis uh, that had ascended to power, he left behind a mother, a stepfather, and a grandmother who were all murdered in the camps at the same time that his career was on the ascendancy in Hollywood with Double Indemnity in 1944. And, of course, that was uh, Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck, and they were tremendous in that movie. And they were, and E.G. Robinson, Edward G. Robinson. Yes, absolutely. They helped define the genre. This is a little um, bit of a sidebar, Andrew, but <clears throat> was it black-and-white photography in the old westerns that created the the whole thing about black hats and white hats it was an easy symbolism that uh the audience didn't have to think too hard about well let's you could point you could point to the black-hatted uh, villain and the white-hatted hero and tell your child uh, who they were, and uh, they could be caught up in the action of the Western. <laughs> and and that would come through very easily in black and white, the way some things didn't. More about film noir with author Andrew Dikos straight ahead. 
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. More about film noir with author Andrew Dikos straight ahead. I've seen some some black and white and some <clears throat> film noir movies um, that had been colorized. Remember, there was that big oh, kick about uh, twenty years and, ago, and, and 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 wasn't that just a crime against art? Well, if it really film, was. That those that yeah. happened at the time when. When we all had VCRs and we would videotape yeah. things, and I was collecting some of my favorites, you know, the Maltese Falcon and Casablanca now, and, and those kinds of things. Why would anyone watch the Maltese Falcon and Casablanca in black and white, in, in color rather? These were well, conceived in black and white. It's just... Uh, and that's, uh, and that's what I, I was going to tell you. I, I recorded them. And then sat down to watch them, and I just I erased them. I said, it, you know, I this isn't something I want to save because this well, isn't the movie I love. No, but you shouldn't have erased them because uh, that colossal misjudgment in uh, in in reinventing the classics in black in color uh, would probably in another twenty, thirty, forty years. Uh, be quite a collector item. Well, I did save Miracle on 34th Street. Well, I don't know that that necessarily counts as a defilement of a great <laughs> film because it's it's a Christmas film, first of all, so that kind of lends itself to colorization. But uh, I think if you had uh, the Maltese Falcon and Casablanca uh, stored away, uh, maybe another thirty, forty years from now, you could uh, you could sell them as a curiosity collectible. <laughs> that's that's interesting, and of course, I didn't think about that at the time, um, because like in the early days of television, you know, there was there was only so much tape and so much room for tape. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And 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 I thought, you know, I'm not going to enjoy these. I'm not going to watch these. So I no. I went back and made sure I had black and white in my in my collection. Um who you know, we mentioned Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck, but who were some of the other big names that helped identify the personality of uh film noir? Well, the great film noir stars of the 40s and 50s for me were, first of all, you have to acknowledge the god of all film noir actors, and that would be Humphrey Bogart because of his performances, not only in The Maltese Falcon, but in The Big Sleep and In a Lonely Place, Key Largo. Uh, he was the first, I think, uh, uh, prominent loner star to uh, help define the genre. And, well, uh, it, yeah, he's maybe. so iconic from that era. Absolutely, Andrew. Absolutely. I, I mean, if if you were to to you know define film noir and you wanted to use a photograph, Bogart would be in it in his raincoat Absolutely. with the turned up collar. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. He. He had the accoutrement of all the noir 
key roles that we associate um, with that period. Uh, the trench coat collar turned up, uh, the fedora hat, and the cigar dangling from his mouth. And uh, as the great uh, French film historian Henri Argel said, uh, uh, Bogart was always a passenger of the night. So he had his home in that urban nighttime milieu. And uh, I think you have to start with Bogart and then encircling him, I would put uh, John Garfield, who was also a great anti-hero and was wonderful in Force of Evil and Body and Soul. Uh, Richard Widmark, uh, who was great in his first film, um, the time of which just now went out of my mind. It <laughs> <laughs> happens to but, me uh, all the time, Andrew. It'll come to you if we move on. <laughs> it'll come to me as we're speaking. But uh, certainly he was a wonderful in Roadhouse and in one of the greatest film noirs ever made, Night in the City. Uh, and you have to consider Robert Ryan and uh, Dan Durier, who was just about the but you know what's what's interesting about that is that i don't really remember widmark and durier um from the film noir as much as i do from the world war ii movies well they they did both but they made uh quite a distinctive imprint in noir cinema uh as as did Robert Mitchum, of course, and uh, and Dan uh, and Dana Andrews, who was wonderful not only in Laura but in Fallen Angel and Where the Sidewalk Ends. I'm glad you mentioned so, Laura because that the theme song from that it happens to be one mm-hmm. of my one of my favorite melodies. Uh, yeah. It's it's just so and, haunting, but it it reminds me to bring up the fact that could film noir have been as engaging as it was to movie-going audiences without the jazz that was happening and part of the 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 soundtrack the music from that era i think it augmented it considerably especially as the genre was developed into the 50s. But there is a great scene in Robert Siadmack, one of the German emigre filmmakers who uh, distinguished himself in the making of film noirs in Hollywood during the 40s. He did Phantom Lady, where Alicia Cook Jr. has a jazz set where he's playing in in an accelerating frenzy, a jazz set, and then he just collapses. And uh, you might say that that was emblematic of the soundtrack of the genre, indeed, Uh, because jazz, as you know, is not a, a happy idiom it's uh, a lament uh it speaks to sorrow and uh 
and 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 it kind of uh, allows the listener to accept uh, all of the um, disappointments and failures and heartbreaks in life and uh, this is an apt uh, soundtrack for a genre like this yeah it's hard for me to to separate the two because the music is always such an important element of uh, you know accompanying the the video that we see you know a lot of a lot is made of um, props and lighting and you know the the setting of the mood and so on visually the the photography oh, yeah. even uh, Mel Brooks when he went to make Young Frankenstein decided to do it in black and white and use sets and set pieces from that era in, in because Frankenstein of course was in black and white exactly the original Frankenstein yes you're not going to take uh, something inspired by Boris Karloff and uh, turn it in and colorize it or turn it into a color uh, updating of it and capture the same spirit, even in a spoof. Even and even if you use Peter Boyle as the monster, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but it it was, um, but but my point was that you know that. Mel Brooks went back to to recreate that look and that feel and and to make the spoof a, a lot more credible and and a lot more interesting. Um yes. And and so when we look back at at those movies and especially the lighting. The lighting is the thing that always thrills me when I watch black and white movies. Oh, absolutely. And we tend to look at those things, but I think we I think we gloss over the um the impact of of the music and what was happening in music at the same time and how the two jazz and film noir kind of evolved together uh, somewhat side by side but merging a lot yes complementing each other uh, perfectly i think in some great noirs you can't look at orson welles's touch of evil the opening of touch of evil with that Latin jazz score, and 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 imagine how that camera work would function without uh, the complement of that jazz score of the Mancini jazz score. You're absolutely right. And and another thing that I noticed uh, that you point out in your book is that. Film noir didn't necessarily, it wasn't, although it, it evolved, it grew up in Hollywood filmmaking, it didn't start here. No, it had its roots in uh, German interwar cinema. Uh, if you think of the great noir filmmakers who emigrated to America, to and Hollywood. Let me, let me, I don't mean to interrupt, Andrew, but, but I, want to no, get this, I want to get this in here. Why Germany and, and not a more Western Europe, you know, France and, and uh, Great Britain? Well, it, well, there was a connection to the French interwar cinema as well. But, <coughs> excuse me, but uh, in German cinema, 
which grew out of the expressionist movement of the immediate post-war years, uh, World War I years. Uh, the suffering and uh, destruction that attended German society uh, resulted very much in uh, an art that uh, was captured in the expressionist movement, where you had caroscudo lighting and emphatic gestures and uh, villainous characters and moodiness uh, pervading all the stories, the melodramas. Uh, and that was captured by filmmakers, as I was going to say, like Fritz Lang and Robert Siadmak and William Dieterle and uh, they came to Hollywood, Edgar Ulmer, and they came to Hollywood and they filmed noirs. And I think it was the destruction that be that bequeathed uh, this generation of, of of filmmakers from World War One, where the old imperial German. Society was replaced by uh, an erratic and unformed society that turned out to be the breeding ground for the Third Reich and the rise of Nazism that uh, was very formative in these filmmakers' sensibilities. And they were able to transport that to Washington, to uh, Washington, to Hollywood. And at the same time, in France, you had uh, the poetic realism of uh, the post-war era that was very much a part of the socialist politics that had taken root at that time, uh, the popular front and the working-class hero personified by uh, uh, Jean Gabin, who... Uh, met tragedy by submitting to his passions and, 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 and being destroyed by all of the forces that failed to support and recognize the little man, the working man, the man caught in the cog of, uh, of, of, of a churning society that uh, just didn't pay him his due. So those two helped influence a genre that uh, grew in Hollywood around 1940 that uh, gave American cinema its distinctive uh, expression of a world that wasn't rosy and optimistic the way that the way that those Andy Hardy movies wanted you to believe, <laughs> you know? I do. I know exactly what you mean, Andrew. Um, does that, is that also um, the, uh, birthplace isn't really the right word, but was that the, the spark that ignited the images we see in futuristic filmmaking and novels of a dystopian world? I think uh, certainly uh, there are elements of noir stylistics in uh, dystopian uh, alien-type films using the alien franchise 
as an example. Um, I think it is an unfair stretch to identify the dystopian vision of science fiction uh, with film noir too much. Film noir, is, although the characters are lost in their paranoia and fears, is rooted in a reality, in a recognizable reality. Uh, but when I world, when I those, refer to dystopian, though, Andrew, I'm I'm thinking in terms of post cataclysmic event. Yeah, I think that that's uh, separate from film noir. Although the filmmakers who created those universes in their films undoubtedly watched a lot of film noirs and decided, well, we can take the paranoia and anxiety and turn it into a, a science fiction, futuristic, post-apocalyptic, blah, 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 <coughs> universe. And I don't mean to be dismissive by saying blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's a different... No, 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 I, I understand. Genre. It's, it's a different genre. Uh, film noir is a very, uh, at its best, certainly is a very relatable connection to the world we live in. Who are who do you think are the the big names uh, in terms of making film noir? Well, movies uh, and and who are oh, some that we don't know and don't remember? Well, the big names are of course Fritz Lang and Robert Siakmak, who uh, gave the, uh, the, 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 the visual uh, style that uh, is so predominant in the genre, uh, and that in Hollywood, and that is uh, without question uh, the pair that I would put at the top of the list. Uh, I think... Uh, Orson Welles, with uh, his film noirs, uh, Lady from Shanghai, and Touch of Evil, uh, and certainly uh, with the uh, technical achievements that he made in Citizen Kane, uh, deserves a prominent place in film noir, as does, of course, John Huston, who did uh, The Maltese Falcon, Key Largo, as I said, and... Uh, the Asphalt Jungle, which I think is his greatest noir. Uh, my, one of my personal favorites is Abraham Polanski, who was the screenwriter for Body and Soul and then wrote and directed Force of Evil with John Garfield before he was blacklisted and uh, left for Europe and did not return to make movies again until the late 60s. Uh, Otto Preminger, certainly uh, can't be ignored because of the, 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 the ambiguity that he creates in his characters, especially the sexual ambiguity that comes through uh, at a time when uh, making a film in Hollywood that uh, expressed anything like that was quite, uh, quite challenging and... Uh, and he was able to do it. Um, 
I how did these how did these noir filmmakers um, get along with or or work with the censors of the day? Well, well, it's very interesting. They had difficulties, but what they were able to do was to take the stories that they were telling and justify showing bad people doing bad things because of the reckoning that they would have before the end of the film for their misdeeds. And by doing that, they were able to express a lot of the complicated behavior that uh, revolved around uh, uh, acts of violence, uh, acts committed out of fear, out of paranoia, uh, out of lust. It's, 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 it works on the principle that when the studio and the censors tell you what you can't do, then you proceed to create a film narrative, a story about all of the things, incorporating all of the things that you can do. And by doing that, you're not violating any of the, of the prohibitions that are set before you, but yet navigating them in a way that makes your film richer and more expressive precisely because you navigated them, precisely because you were able to be clever enough to show uh, a, a, a curious character um, uh, who is uh, sexually ambiguous like uh, uh, Richard Widmark in, in uh, his first film, which the title of which escapes me, but I'm going to look it up as we speak. Here. <laughs> oh, it's just terrible. No, no, it happens to me all the time. In fact, I heard a line a couple nights in a, a movie I was watching, and and the line just knocked me out. I mean, it stood out of the from the whole script. Kiss of death. Okay. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Nope. Uh, the Great Kiss of Death, where he played the villainous Tommy Udo, uh, and it was suggested that Tommy Udo's violence was an expression of his frustrated homosexuality. Uh, or, to use the classic example, Gilda, for example. Gilda, who is uh, the great lure, sexual lure, for both jo George McCready, her husband, and uh, Glenn Ford, uh, who finds her uh, intoxicating, but at the same time has to compete with the affections, however muted they are, that are thrown his way by George McCready. That kind of triangle uh, would have, is um, well, at the time in 1946 when Gilda was made, would have been unthinkable in a romantic comedy or in a musical or in a, <clears throat> a family drama or a, uh, an adventure film. More about film noir with author Andrew Dikos. Straight. From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. 
This is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current-day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. 
More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about film noir with author Andrew Dikos, straight ahead. Film noir kind of opened the door that allowed for the illusions and, and suggestions that were later developed uh, as the censor uh, <laughs> uh, board became less and less important and society intruded more and more on the need for films to be a more honest expression of of American life. Ah, uh, uh, the beloved uh, innuendo. The beloved innuendo, <laughs> the double entendre. You can't watch uh, The Big Sleep with Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall and watch the nightclub scene where they sit there talking about horse racing, and she tells Bogart that uh, you know she, you know she might be a winner. But it depends on who's in the saddle, <laughs> and, not <know> what <laughs> and not know what they're talking about. <laughs> uh, and they, there were so many of those with them, and there were some real good ones with Nick and Nora Charles too. Well, yes. That, well, I wouldn't call those more so. That was. Uh, Dashiell Hammett's attempt to take uh, the detective mystery and turn it into kind of a comic detective story. And oh, they were yeah, they were clearly a, a lot lighter. But those two characters, oh, yeah. you know, were really kind of plucked from but that they era. But indeed, in nineteen in nineteen thirty four, they certainly did uh, skirt uh, the risque. Uh, sexual uh, innuendo that uh, that a few years later would become even impossible in the Thin Man series to to express. I mean, don't forget uh, the Thin Man first Thin Man came out in 1934, just after uh, the pre code era, before the uh, the censors had uh, their claws in filmmaking production to the extent that that uh, limited so much of what could be expressed even uh, by implication and innuendo a few years later. Andrew, I feel like we could talk about this for hours, but sadly we're getting to the end of our time. The name of the book, it's uh, by Andrew Dikos, The uh, Street with No Name, A History of the Classic American Film Noir. And I I have to ask you um, about the the title, Street with No Name. Mm -hmm. Where did that come from? Well, Street with No Name... Uh, is the title of a semi-documentary film noir, meaning a film noir that was made using uh, uh, on location shooting after the war in 1948. 
I like the title because the title uh, is uh, evokes the idea of someone running on a street that doesn't lead anywhere. It's just an endless uh, escape from one's self, one's anxiety and and and, and paranoia. And I liked that uh, evocation. I thought that was, uh, you know, the street that doesn't matter. You'll just be on that street running, running from it. Uh, the original cover of Street with No Name uh, was of the last scene in uh, He Ran All the Way, John Garfield's final film before he died. And it showed him uh, running on the street and being shot dead in the gutter. And somehow that's probably the grimmest expression of the fate of a noir hero that can, that can be shown. Well, Andrew, I want to thank you for spending some time with me this morning to uh, share some of the thoughts from the, uh, from the book Street With No Name with me and the listeners, but, but also for the book itself. And I always give thank guests you. an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Obviously, the book is a great place to start. Um, but I also would like to give people an opportunity to find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Uh, Andrew, do you have a website? I don't have a website, but uh, uh, the reissue of Street with No Name, uh, History of the Classic American Film Noir, came out just yesterday. And it can be purchased at uh, your local Barnes & Noble or bookstore, as well as Amazon. And uh, it follows uh, the release of my fourth book, which was on a great noir director, Jean-Pierre Melville, the French filmmaker Jean-Pierre Melville, uh, called Honor Among Thieves, the cinema of Jean-Pierre Melville, which came out in July. Andrew, and, uh, could you could you name two or three films for people who aren't familiar with film noir and maybe haven't watched a lot of uh, uh, older films or black and white films, but two two or three titles that would give someone a very quick education of what um, being exposed to film noir is like? Uh, Force of Evil, uh, Night directed by Abraham Polanski in 1948. Night and the City, directed by Jules Dassin in 1950. I would add to that also Fallen Angel, directed by Otto Preminger in 1945. And, of course, you have to always include Double Indemnity by Billy Wilder, directed in 1944. Well, this is just so much fun. I, I, I hate to bring it to an end, but I must. Thanks again, Andrew. It's been a pleasure talking with you, and keep up the good work. Well, thank you for having me, Tom. It was a pleasure for me as well. Take care. 
Again, the uh, name of the book is Street With No Name, A History of the Classic American Film Noir by Andrew Dikos. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're celebrating Schlock's over with Tom Sumner. Well, if I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning, I'd hammer in the evening, all over this land. I'd hammer out danger, I'd hammer out a warning, I'd hammer out love between my brothers and my sisters. Oh. All over this land Well, if I had a bell I'd ring it in the morning I'd ring it in the evening All over this land I'd ring out danger I'd ring out a warning I'd ring out love Between my brothers and my sisters All over this land If I had a song, I'd sing it in the morning, I'd sing it in the evening, all over this land. I'd sing out danger, I'd sing out a warning, I'd sing out love between my brothers and my sisters, all over this land. Well, I have a hammer. And I have a bell And I have a song A song to sing all over this land It's the hammer of justice It's the bell of freedom And the song is the song of love Love between all of my brothers and love between all of my sisters all over this land. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're celebrating Schlocktober with Tom Sumner. Well, there's smoking George Winters tickling the ivories, letting me know it's uh, time to end the show and head on down the hall to the living room. But uh, this last hour with um, Andrew Dikos talking about film noir is almost a segue for tomorrow's show. We're going to be talking with two authors on the subject of Alfred Hitchcock and one on Otto Preminger. I want to say thanks to my guests today, Andrew Dikos, of course, the author of Street With No Name, and uh, tech historian Peter Norton talking about his book, Otanorama. And uh, anyway, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. 
Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.